This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us for a special edition of The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. I'm John DeCarlo, the editor of OwlScoop.com, and it's a special podcast because we are joined today by a former Temple star, a former New York Jets star, a four-time Pro Bowler, a three-time All-Pro, a former NFL Defensive Player of the Year, and now, and it's certainly long overdue, a Hall of Famer in Joe Klecko. Joe, it is truly an honor to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us here on The Scoop. Congratulations on what we all know is, again, a long overdue honor with the Hall of Fame. How are you doing? I'm doing great now that this has happened, Uh, but doing good also, you know, uh, getting along but uh, yeah, this has been a quite a whirlwind in the Klecko family. So uh, you know, it's it's a hype that's been you know a little overwhelming at times because of all the things you have to do leading up to this enshrinement. And uh, it's uh, thank God I have people to help me. Mm-hmm. My uh, my daughter and my daughter-in-law have been extremely great about helping me through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it, it is time-consuming. So it's but it's been great. I, I had the chance to see the the video of of Joe Namath knocking on your door at your house, and after thirty five years, and you had so many people vouching for you, and again, it was so well deserved. What did that mean to you? Because for all the career success that you've had, again, this is the first time I've had the chance to talk to you. Everybody describes you as just a very down to earth, humble guy. Joe knocks on your door; it's finally there. What what did that mean to you? What was that moment like? Well, it was really special because it was him. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe's an icon. Listen, the FL started under Joe. Joe, you know, announcing the Super Bowl. Joe was an icon of this era. Joe helped, you know, promote football. And uh, for him to go set aside his days in Florida, you know, and he's not getting around real well lately. For him to come up here and knock on my door mm-hmm. and then... He comes to in uh, to Arizona and he introduces me at the awards banquet. Mm-hmm. I mean, Joe is Joe. There's no doubt about it. For him to do those things for me, I was I was extremely humbled. You know, there's so much to get into with your career, Joe, with your time with the Jets, your time at Temple. But I want to start with where it started for you and Chester. Before we started recording, I was telling you, like, I, I watched you growing up. And my my mom and my my uncles grew up on Hancock Street in Chester. And when I was old enough in the 80s to know what football was, they would say, hey, there's there's Joe Klecko. He's from Chester. That's a that's a big deal. He, play, he played at St. James High School. But you didn't play organized football until your senior year. What, what, what were your earliest memories of football as a kid was it always that you were a better baseball player and and football and everything else was kind of on the back burner like when did you first kind of even just get remotely involved in the sport well football wasn't even in uh you know a notion for us because we didn't have pop warner football mm-hmm. or any little league type football uh resurrection who was a parish right by me yeah had football in their grade school mm-hmm. but i didn't go there i went to st hedwig's which was down the road a little bit. And so baseball was really the only thing we had, and basketball, but I wasn't quite your basketball type. You you never could keep me in a game. I'd foul out. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I played a lot of baseball, and baseball I was pretty good at. 
And uh, so I never really had an inclination to play football. And uh, not until I got to high school where we, you know, at St. James High School was a renowned football power in the Catholic League. Mm-hmm. And you, I, I read the story that, that Mike Jensen did about you in the Inquirer, and he, he talked about how your life has been comprised of all these moments where, like, if you hadn't done this or that, your life might have gone in a different direction. And I, I read that he had, you know, said that you went out for the team at St. James as a freshman. And you kind of, I think he said you got intimidated in a drill, and you, then you decided not to come back out for the team for a while, right? Oh, absolutely. That was it. I, I went out as a freshman, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. I got on the uh, this drill with one of the bigger linemen and the brother. We, we had brothers that taught us at St. James. He was actually coaching the freshman team, and he told me, he said, get out of there before you get hurt. And he embarrassed me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was a very timid kid. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I just said, okay, see you later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I never thought much of it because I come from a work, working family. I never yeah. – you know, thought anything about college because nobody in my family ever went to college. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, I w- I actually was the first, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it was for me, it was okay. Let's go back, graduate high school and go to work. That's what I assumed. But uh, it changed my senior year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's funny because I, I mentioned uh, I went out for football my senior year because there wasn't many anybody on a team that I felt like that I could beat up, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And football yeah. made a rough sport. So I went out my senior year and I didn't play until like the third or fourth game. And then when I finally, the guy in front of me got hurt and uh, they put me in and basically they couldn't take me out anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I happened to make a, a, a fun time of it, especially when I was in high school. Joe, did you know right away, like you said, you were, you know, people who wouldn't know your backstory and your life story wouldn't have thought, wow, Joe Klecko, this NFL legend, was a timid kid. How long did it take before you knew you were good? Did you, did you know right away when you got in there, you're like, oh, I am pretty good at this? Or did it still take a little while for you to believe it because you weren't like this arrogant guy? No, it never, never affected me when I was in, affected me in that way when mm-hmm. I was in, in high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just played because, and listen, my best man in my wedding was the left, you know, defensive end that played right next to me, you know, and I just thought of it as, you know, we're out here playing because we're buddies and all, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't think any, we, we were a good football team. Uh, I think we lost the Catholic League that year, but mm-hmm. we played for the championship and then the, the team after us the next year won it all. But, uh, you know, when I was playing, you know, I didn't think anything would play it. And then all of a sudden, at the end of that year, I had accolades. I had mm-hmm. made all state. And mm-hmm. uh, the Eagles had a uh, award that they gave out. And I still have that award. Mm-hmm. And it was It's called the Alumni Award, I think it was called. And uh, it was for the best high school football player in the area. Mm-hmm. And they gave it to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is really cool, you know, that mm-hmm. I won this award. but. I still didn't have any scholarships to go to school. And uh, so I went back to work. How Joe, how was that? Like, you know, back then, and even when, when Danny, when your son was coming up, the recruiting rankings weren't really like a thing yet. Had they been a thing, you would probably would have been a four or five star recruit, but that wasn't the case back then. And so, yeah, you, you didn't have any offers. So you went back and this is the part of, 
your story that so many people point to, like this guy was driving a truck before he was a football player. And you've heard that a million times, but take me back to that time before you ended up even playing like for the Aston Knights, before you got to Temple, were you just content to be like, Hey, I was a really good player at St. James. This is as far as it's going for me. And I'm just going to work now. Was that kind of where your mind was before things really took off? Yeah, because nobody that I was involved with really, there was a few younger guys, like when the next team coming up, it was Joey Gallagher. He was still in there. His brother, Frank, was a pro player, played in Minnesota. You know, so everybody thought maybe he would. But there was nobody around that we ever knew of, really, even though Dick Christie was a guy from Chester and all. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, it wasn't like something uh, that, you know, made you allude to going to pro football. I mean, it, it wasn't something that, well, there can't be a guy like me that could, could go to pro football. It, it just... It doesn't happen, I guess. And mm-hmm. I was just, I was destined to go ahead and work for a living. Mm-hmm. Another great detail that came out of Mike Jensen's story is he he had that detail where he said you drove over to a practice field for the Aston Knights with your girlfriend at the time, Debbie, who's now your wife. Uh, and Mike reported that you didn't want to get out of the car, but she she took the keys, threw them out the window. You go to get them, and the coach she sees you and says, "Joe, is that you? That's that's how it went down." That's exactly how it went down, too. You know, she threw the keys out the window. I went out to get them. Kind of, and she, she, she threw them pretty far, too. That was a bad thing. You know? so <laughs> I had to actually get out and, and walk a little bit and get them. And then uh, uh, he seen me. He said, hey, Joe, come on over. And like I said to him at the time, I said, I looked back in the car and he gazed at her like, you know, mm-hmm. I was going to tear her head off, you know. But, uh, you know, here, if it wasn't for that, mm-hmm. I, and when I went over there and just started playing around with these guys and all, and I said to myself, you know, even there was a few guys who played college and some guys played pro a couple of years. And I said, there's nothing I grew when I got out of high school mm-hmm. and there was nothing I was intimidated about in this situation. So I said, hell, I'm going to give this a shot. So needless to say, after the first practice, I, I kept it going. What what was it about that moment, Joe? Did you pull up to the field? Were you starting to have second thoughts? And and she was on you saying, like, you got to get out there. I believe in you. Is that kind of how it went down? No, no. She didn't say that. Mm-hmm. She, you know, because she, she never she never was one, one to prod me to do anything. Okay. That's good day. But, you know, uh, I knew she wouldn't. She said, why don't you just go out there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm going, no, I, I can't do this. And, you know, one of them timid moments. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, she took a lot of guts for her to do that, by the way, too. You know, so it was what, funny when she did it. Where does that come from, Joe? Where your pa- like you, know, you talked about being from like a working class family from Chester? Was was it something that you know? Again, like guys in your position might have been more arrogant and more boastful. They might have been like, "Oh, I can do this. I can do that." Well, you were more timid and reserved. Was that something that like just came from your parents? Were you always that way? How, where does that come from? That, that's a very good question. You know, nobody ever really ex- kept ex- extending it like that to me because really, I mean, how was it? Well, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, even in school and everything, you know, uh, I was never a forward person. I was always, always timid. I, I, it's, it's, that's a hard thing for me to pinpoint, really, because mm-hmm. I never really thought about it, you know, because they, where they come from, you know, you know, when I was, when I was young, uh, I was a guy that could be very easily embarrassed, you know, and and, it, and and football changed my life, of course. 
mm-hmm. because you know it brought me out of that timidness. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I always came from a rough and tumble neighborhood, which you know, mm-hmm. okay. And uh, then re- entering into a rough and tumble sport, I guess, just seemed to fit. Mm-hmm. And so it was Temple's equipment manager Don DiGregorio sees you. And then he convinced Wayne Harden to come out and see you. He offers you and you end up at Temple. Did that all come together right before preseason practice that year? No, no, no. We were already playing. We were oh, wow. already playing. And uh, and Temple was playing too, you know. And mm-hmm. so uh, I think one day they had a home game or something like that. He came out and didn't have much time or something, John said. But he came out to watch me play. And he only watched me play one quarter, you know. Wow. And uh, – Later that season, when they were recruiting and all, he, uh, I guess he figured out he had a scholarship and a void for somebody on the defense like me, and he offered me a scholarship. And you, I also read in Mike's story, too, I think you, you considered quitting and maybe considering Dayton, but then you, you went back to Temple, and then you played your freshman season with a, you were healing from a broken hand or had a broken hand? Well, what happened was when I went to Temple, I was I was a street kid, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was I came from working and playing sailor football, and basically the regimentation of Temple, like I, I wasn't falling into this, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had another offer to go to Dayton, mm-hmm. so I just figured, oh, what the hell? I'm going to leave here and I'm going to go to Dayton. Well, mm-hmm. NCAA rules don't allow that, you know. Right? So yeah. They said to me, he said Joe, he said, you know, John came. John was calling the house. My mom was answering. And my mom would say, John, I don't know where he is. And I was sitting there, you know. So finally, I talked to him. And he said, Joe, you've got to come back here. You're mm-hmm. going to miss a whole year again if you don't come back. Mm-hmm. So I went back. And the, my first practice back, I actually picked the guard up and threw him out of the way. And he <laughs> kicked me and broke my hand. Jeez. And so I was I was, I in camp and all. I played with a broken hand in the first game, of course. First couple of games, I played with a broken hand. And uh, I didn't play right away. And I played, you know, later on, you know, as we went along. Again, when when I got in there, he couldn't take me out. Mm-hmm. So that was the best part of it. So, you know, I just I did what I knew how to do. And that was get after the quarterback and, and make havoc. When you were playing for the Aston Knights, you played under that you played under that assumed name of Jim Jim Jones. Yeah. Well, what happened was the owners of the team were leery of me. If I had had a chance to go back to college, mm-hmm. they didn't want me to you know get in a catch twenty two mm-hmm. by you know playing. It was called the Professional Seaboard League. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want me to get in problems with it, but I never got paid. So mm-hmm. it really didn't matter, you know, even though I played with guys who were getting paid, the mm-hmm. NCAA allowed it, you know. So we went through a whole record. I actually got, I almost didn't play one game because we had to get all these affidavits and all from mm-hmm. the owners of the team that they never paid me at all. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I, yeah, that's why I played under the assumed name now. Maybe I'm probably the 500th person to tell you this, or maybe I'm not. It it reminds me of some of like the Vince Papali stuff that you see in Invincible, where he's going back and he's playing in his neighborhood and people know he's like really good. 
And like it's it's just such a great story. But like you're playing there and you're playing against these guys. And then one day they probably see you and be like, that's Joe Klecko. He used to play with us and now he's with the Jets. I mean, do you ever think about that sometimes? Oh, yeah. You know, I've seen guys around like Johnny Waller, who was uh matter of fact, he's an ex-Temple quarterback mm-hmm. from before me. Johnny was our quarterback for the Aston Knights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would see him every now and then at softball games and things like that. And, uh, you know, we would talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you talk about Papali. The team that Papali played for was the Aston Knights after I left. Oh, so my God, Papali, you didn't know that. You're right, Papali actually played on that team. Mm-hmm. And that's how he got a chance to play with the Eagles. That's incredible. Um, can, Joe, can you tell me, even before we get to Wayne Harden and your time at Temple, I mean, I also want to hear about you getting this to spar with Joe Frazier yet just like another insane chapter in your life and such a cool thing. I mean, what was that like? Well, basically how it started was when I played semi-pro football, the guy I became very good friends with was a fighter, Jack Mercandine. And Jack was a professional pug. You know, he, he had some fight. Listen, Jack wasn't going to win the heavyweight championship, but there ain't nobody on the street was going to do anything with him. You know, mm-hmm. he was a pro fighter who had probably 15 pro fights. Well, he took me under his wing, and I started fighting with Jack. And then when I got to Temple, uh, you know, I had a chance to go to train at Clover Lake under Sam Solomon, who was uh, Leon Spinks's, uh mm-hmm. trainer. I wasn't there long, but that's where I had a chance to get in the ring with Joe. And, uh, again, it wasn't an, a long-lasting event. You know, you get in the ring with the scariest guy in the world, basically. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was fun for me because, it, it's like I said, it's a chapter in a, in a in the book for some people, for some of our fans, some of the younger fans of the people listening to this podcast, they never got to see Wayne Harden patrol the sidelines. They never got to see him coach a game. I never got to talk to the guy or meet the guy. What can you tell us about Wayne Harden? What was it like to, to play for him? What, what made him special? Well, Wayne, Wayne's history was great. I mean, he, he coached Joe Bellino, Roger Stolbeck. Mm-hmm. You know, he had some great players under his belt, you know, and God bless the rest of his soul. He's not here. You know, hopefully I'm one of those players that are under his belt too, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, he, he was the kind of guy, he said the right things at the right time. Mm-hmm. I remember getting off the field when I was a freshman and I didn't play the first game really. I get in for a couple plays and he, and he said, he came up to me and I was mad because mm-hmm. I thought I should have been playing, you know, and he came up to me and said, well, how'd you like your first you know, time at big time college football. And I said something that was derogatory. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he came up to me later and he said, Joe, he goes, there's no use for you to be mad at anybody here. You know, he goes, your account is going to come when it, we're playing those other teams. He goes, and don't worry, you're going to have your chances. Mm-hmm. Now, if he would have said nothing to me and let me stew about it, mm-hmm. I don't know how good that would have went with me at that time, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, he had the insight to come to me and explain to me how life is going to be for me here in the future. And it worked out that way. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe, what was, what was campus like back then? Where did you, where did you live? Where did you eat? I mean, it was still very much a commuter school back then. Nothing like what it is now. It's a lot more of a residential school and there's a lot more to do. What was, what was life like at Temple back then? Were people into football? Was it still like, oh, yeah. It was the, well, the people who were in the football were the people who were in the school at that. Mm-hmm. I lived in Johnson Hall, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, we had 
we had communication out through the windows yelling at each other, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was kind of fun because when I would have a fight and I'd have to go to another school, build over Westchester or something like that, you know, the guys on, on the football team would, would announce it yelling out the windows that, you know, I had a fight that night. And mm. It was great camaraderie for all of us because everybody lived in the same place. And, you know, the team stayed together. We'd always go out on Thursday uh, or, yeah, Thursday night before traveling for the game. You know, and we'd eat in the same place and, you know, carry on just for that night. And then Friday we travel and Saturday we play. And uh, it, it was it was it was a close knit bunch of guys. And that's what I enjoyed about it. Some of the the fans who read our our website at Al Scoop and they chime in on these message boards that we have. Uh, some of them recently were talking about that game that you had as a freshman against Delaware, where you had five sacks. And again, for a guy who was always modest, was that a was that a big moment for you? Was that kind of like a breakout game for you, where you're like, all right? Well, I don't know if it's a breakout game because that's a game I got in trouble. <laughs> what happened was. You know, I didn't learn how to talk to the press. <laughs> and when I got done, they were asking me, Joe, how did you do all these things? Like, mm -hmm. I had 10 or 12 tackles and sacks. And they said, well, the guy I was playing against was really weak. <laughs> it's something you never say, you know? Yeah. You know, and, and I said, well, you know, he was really slow. It was easy for me because I was, all, I beat him off the ball and I, mm -hmm. I could throw him around. And then I said, then he started talking about the Aston Knights. And that's when... The NCA stepped in and said, "You did what? You know, and oh, that, that that big that big opening of me coming on the the scene at Temple having such a great game was a little bit of my you know humbling experience also because you know that's when uh, well, Gavin White called me in. He was the assistant athletic director yeah. at the time, and he said, "Joe, we have to talk about something." So uh, <laughs> I wasn't allowed to practice that week, but uh, it worked out and everything was fine. And of course, I went on to play the rest of the year and more. Did you, was there a, a moment or a time at Temple, whether it was that game or maybe even a practice, was there a time where you kind of said to yourself, like, I've got a shot? Like this guy who was, you know, once hesitant to get out of the car, I, I've got a shot to to play in the NFL. Was there a time like that or where it kind of arrived or it sunk in? I think what it started to sink in was really, the 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 junior year and then the summer camp before my senior year mm -hmm. uh the scouts wanted to talk to me mm -hmm. you know and they wanted to run me and do all those things you do when they wanted to do that and they thought there was interest in me that year before we played Penn State and lost to them by one point mm -hmm. and they didn't run the ball on us and the reason they didn't run the ball on us was because of me. And we had, don't get me wrong, it was everybody on the team played well, but in the, I played nose guard and there were their centers and all and guards couldn't deal with me. And then we played in our senior year and we did the same thing. We lost by one point again, you know, and here we are playing against these big time teams and we're doing well. Mm -hmm. And myself, was, I was doing well. So, you know, it brought a lot of light to the, to the out, outside professional world mm -hmm. you get you get drafted in the sixth round of the the 77 nfl draft and it was 12 rounds you go to the jets what was it like for a guy who again you never really you were you were confident but you never took yourself that seriously boom now you were in the center of the universe you're in new york 
playing for the Jets. You're in the biggest media market in the world. What was that like? Did you kind of take it in stride or did you have a moment where you were like, wow, this is something? No, it wasn't, it wasn't that yet. Reason being is because as the media was back then, it wasn't as bombastic as it is now. Yeah. And, you know, everybody is, everything's accentuated, especially mm-hmm. in New York. You have the capital of everything, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but it was, I was in Long Island now. Yeah. You know? And I didn't really know New York City yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, by that point, all I was really concerned with, you know, and, and literally I was in the dorm, from a dorm to football field, dorm to the football field, in the time mm-hmm. I, I'd eat, you know? And that's all I had the time for because I was so tired. But, uh, you know, leading into that, uh, you know, I felt like the Eagles told me they were going to take me mm-hmm. earlier in the rounds. And I was really expecting to go. The Eagles, great. Hometown team. I won't have to go nowhere. Mm-hmm. This is great. They don't draft me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, that was the first day. Mm-hmm. I didn't get taken the first day. I got taken the first round of the second day. I was really pissed. I was mm-hmm. mad. And it was it was a good man because mm-hmm. it helped me, you know. And then I went to the Jets, and uh, uh, there was a kid they drafted in the third round in front of me. You know, your typical 6'5", 280, 290 guy, big guy. And uh, he was, you know, their pick to be defensive tackle, you know. And uh, I was behind him, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I'm working along, working along, I'm doing pretty good preseason and all. And uh, I talked, I was a good rookie. Mm-hmm. I, I I sang, I, I got up on the table. Every, I, I think they made me sing every day, you know, because. That was all the hazing you had to do? Yeah, because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't opposed to it, you know. And mm-hmm. there were other guys that weren't, and they were going to be tough guys. But I sang, I did everything they wanted, you know. Uh, so leading up to the end, uh, the third rounder and me, they were going to keep two extra defensive linemen at that time. And I'm saying to myself, oh, boy, Joe. And I'm, I'm friendly with the veterans now because they're talking to me because, again, I was I was a decent kid. And uh, they go, Joe, this don't work. You know, the, the, the numbers don't work out. They're going to have him. They have too much money invested in him. And they're, gonna, they're not going to keep you. And I'm going, you sort of, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it now. Now I'm getting madder and madder. Mm-hmm. And then I said, whoever wants to fight on this team, I'm going to fight. Mm-hmm. So I started out, and then there was one play, and the the, the, the film director, the Jets, loves this story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I uh, come out, and it's the, the week we're cutting down. You know, it's going to be the last cut. And I, I don't know what's going to happen yet. They're not getting rid of me. They're not, you know. And uh, so the team comes out, the first team offense comes out. And I'm playing scout team because I'm a, I'm, dumb, I'm a dumb rookie at the time, you know. So, you know, I come out and they come out and they say, all right, guys, listen, we're going half speed. And I said to myself, I'm not going to half speed. Uh-huh. You know, and I didn't tell them that. But I I came off the ball. I busted the guard in the mouth, knocked it down, hit the fullback in the backfield. And all of a sudden, they're all in my face. Uh-huh. And I said, fellas, I said, you can come get all you want because I'm going to be here every day and I can come, you know, you can come at me as hard as you want. And that's basically, I think, what 
put the coaches over the edge with me because mm-hmm. what they did is that after that preseason game that we played the last one, they put him on IR and mm-hmm. I made the slide. Wow. Joe, did you ever, did anybody from the Eagles ever down the road, anybody from the organization ever just see him passing and saying, hey, we we messed up. Not only yeah. were you well, not only were you a legend, but what a story this would have been. You know, we were, we were just recently, last year, uh, I'm at the Philadelphia Writers Banquet, and Danny and I are sitting on a dais, and Dick Vermeil got an award. Mm-hmm. He got the Hall of Fame, and he got an award from the writers of Philadelphia. And he got up and he said, you know, he goes, they always said I was such a smart coach. He goes, I guess I wasn't so smart if I didn't have that guy. And mm-hmm. he pointed to me sitting in on the mm-hmm. dais with him. He says, if I would have drafted Joe Klecko, I would have been ahead of the game here. That's so, great. Yeah, I, I mean, I have heard from people, you know. But one of the reasons I was drafted was my head coach was the year before with uh, Mike McCormick, mm-hmm. who was still have his head coach. Mm-hmm. He was the linebacker coach there. Mm-hmm. He seen me play. And mm-hmm. that was the reason they drafted me. Wow. Yeah. So eventually, obviously, Mark Gasno gets there. It's you, Mark, Marty Lyons, Abdul Salam. Of course, you guys become known as this iconic New York Sack Exchange. What was that camaraderie like? And, and what is it like, if you could explain to a fan who's like never played the game before, what's it, what's it like when when four guys are clicking and communicating like that and playing at such a high level? It's, it, it is something that is, is very contagious if you will, because that affected our whole defense, you know what I mean? And they looked for good things from us, and we gave it to them. We uh-huh. stuffed the run. You know, nobody ran on us because we had we had really good linebackers, okay? Nobody ran on us, and then here it is when it comes down, they had to throw the ball of any kind of yardage, five yards or more. They're going to have to take at least three seconds, and me and Mark, there was not too many times we didn't hit the quarterback within three or four seconds, so you know, we were, we were to be feared as a defensive line. It was funny. I don't remember the coach's name. He came with us. He was a linebacker coach from Cincinnati. And we played Cincinnati in 82 or 81, I forget who it was. And uh, he came to the line, and he's, and he's nervous looking. I said, Jim, what's the matter? It's his name. I don't remember his last name. And he said, Joe, their offensive line is huge. They're so good. I said, really? I said, I'll be right back. So we go on the field and play a, a set of downs. First down, they run the ball. We stuff it. Second down, they run the ball. We give them a three-yard loss. Now it's third and 13 on third down. We sack uh, Kenny Stable. Uh, not Kenny Stable. Kenny Anderson? Kenny Anderson. Yeah. Kenny Anderson. Okay. So I come back to the sidelines. I take my helmet off. I go, what did you think of that? <laughs> and so, this is like against was, Anthony. This is we expected. We were we were that good. And that's like a line that was like Anthony Munoz is on that line, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Anthony, cool. and, you know, Anthony's one of the toughest guys I ever played against. Who else? Uh, and guys like you played against like Dwight Stevenson, uh Joe Delamalur has been one of those guys that's been so vocal about you getting in. Are, were those the were those the cream of the crop offensive linemen that you played against that stand out? They're all Hall of Famers. Yeah, not the Hall of Fame because they were bums. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know, there's a lot to say to that. And and of course, when I played against them too, there was no doubt they were the best. You know, and you know, everybody talks about it. You know, and John Hanna said to me, "We're we're all friends." Mm-hmm. And Hanna says to me, he "Goes, you know, he promoted me big through the whole thing too." Mm-hmm. 
And him and Howie Long were probably my biggest mm-hmm. opponents of the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 Joe Long or John Hannah said to me, "Because Joe, I'll go on a Zoom call for you if you take that one play out of your highlight film." There's a play where I beat him in a highlight film. He would mm. take it out, and I'm going to Zoom calls. So <laughs> it was kind of funny. So he just wanted to pretend like it didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously, another thing that, that people know about you, you're, you're one of only three players to have ever been voted to the Pro Bowl, three different positions, defensive end in the 81 Pro Bowl, defensive tackle in the 83 and 84 Pro Bowls, and then nose tackle in the 85 Pro Bowl. Yeah, That comes at a time when the game was probably even more physical, Offensive linemen could get away with more. There are fewer flags. That's tremendous versatility on your part. Again, can you explain to listeners what like the nuances of moving around like that? Because it's not just as simple as like, yes, coaches talk about position versatility. I understand that's a thing, but it can't just be that simple. What was it like to just be that well-versed and to be as good as you were just wherever they put you? Well, my techniques of playing football are really the same in each position, mm-hmm. even though you change them up a little, you know, for, mm-hmm. and you don't play end like you play nose tackle. There's no yeah. doubt, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But the one thing that I was always able to utilize was my quickness. And I just happened to be, I was probably stronger than anybody I played against, mm-hmm. you know, so that was, a, that was a plus plus. So, you know, when I, when uh, the, the nose tackle, was the uh, probably the 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 cherry on the top? When Bud Carson came to me mm-hmm. when he came as a defensive coordinator, and he said, "Joe, I'd like you to try this and play nose tackle in a, in a cock nose position," you know. And I said, "Well, what do you expect from me, Bud?" And he said, "Listen, I wanted you to cover both a gaps from there and this and that." And I said, "Listen, do, do, are you, do I have the freedom to do what I need to do?" He goes, "Let's try it. Let's do it. Let's see how it works." So we played it through the preseason and really worked out well. Mm-hmm. And I got more used to it to where I was making a real advantage to me. And the line in front of me were making so many calls. They were they were actually confusing themselves. And my two linebackers sitting behind me were just reaping the, the rewards, mm-hmm. you know. But also it came to me during pass rush, you know. I, 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 I had such a good... Uh, jump off the ball because of where I was at, that mm-hmm. uh, you know I benefited from the run and the and the, uh, pass rush. Now, now, what many people know is I led our team two years in tackles from tackle and then from nose tackle. I led in tackles and this in the NFL that's unheard of as a yeah. In addition to maybe sacking the quarterback, is that maybe the ultimate feeling where you line up? And all of a sudden, the offensive line is like, like you said, kind of just confused, and they're trying to change the play. When you get them flustered, is that kind of like maybe the best feeling or the next best feeling other than sacking the quarterback? That was, that was my whole, that was whole my whole commitment to to doing what I did. You know, it's funny we're playing the Dolphins one day, and what did people never realized about what gave me an advantage was when I would line up in the gap between the center and the guard, whichever side it was. I could look at the, the quarterback's feet. And the quarterbacks are allowed an advantage step when they're snapping the ball. So they're actually starting to move before the ball is snapped because they got to get out of there. Dan Marino was the was the best at it, but worst at it. Dan Marino used to get up behind the center and he would like wobble as he stood there. 
I got up in the middle of the play, and I'm screaming at the head referee who's standing behind him going, he can't do that. He mm-hmm. can't do that. And what I meant by that is he can't move. He's mm-hmm. already indicating a play. He can't move. And nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> so they stopped. They forgot to block me. And I come in and I crushed Marino. And I and I said something to him laying on the ground, man, you know. But uh, it was funny because I had to line so confused about what they were doing. They forgot to block me. <laughs> wow. Joe, what's the craziest thing a quarterback ever said to you? I mean, you you sacked so many prominent quarterbacks in your life. Did you ever have one of them say, like, just in the heat of the moment, what's the funniest thing a quarterback or maybe an offensive lineman ever said to you out of frustration? Well, I've had an offensive lineman say a lot of derogatory things to you. Know, <laughs> you know that. But I guess the, the one that was not hilarious, but, you know, derogatory in a way, is, was Jim Kelly. And uh-huh. I got out to, I got out to the, the Super Bowl where we were being – and Jim was out there because Jim's in the whole thing. Uh-huh. And, he, and he comes up to me. He goes, Clegg, he goes, do me a favor. We're seeing in front of a camera. He goes, tell them the story. And what the story is, is basically when Kelly first came in his first year with the Buffalo Bills, I'm playing against them. And, and Red Cashin was a referee. And he made a call that I thought was terrible. Uh-huh. And I'm, so, I'm saying to Red, Red, what do you, how do you call that? And Kelly looks at me and goes, oh, first name basis, huh? And they said, <laughs> listen, punk. I says, I know why now some guys don't like you. And more things were said. But so I get back in the line, and we're on the one-foot line, and they're going to score. It's first down and goal. Well, what, what a great time for a 15-yard penalty. Mm-hmm. They're going to move the ball six inches, you know? I come off the ball. I hit him so hard. He landed on the 10-yard line, and he tells the story about it, you know, about the hardest hit he ever took in the NFL. So, you know, I think that was one of the more hilarious but fun things for me, not for him. That's great. Um, And, Joe, obviously one of your five children, Dan, ends up following your footsteps, played at Temple. I got to cover his career and gets picked in the fourth round of the 2003 draft. And and like you, he faced his own adversity. I remember so many people – saying the temple got a steal and Danny, because he was overlooked. People would say, Oh, if he was a couple inches taller, he would have gone here. He would have gone there. Then he endures four tough years at temple where they weren't really winning. Uh, then he goes on and he, and he wins three Super Bowls, two with the Patriots and one with the Colts. And, he, was, and he also was the defensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. In the Big East that year. Yes. Against some really, really yeah. good, the yeah. Miami's of the world and Virginia techs. And what did it mean to, just for him to just go on and have that type of success where, again, he wasn't like this super herald guy. People knew he was good, but oftentimes I remember hearing people say, like, I'm not sure if he's tall enough. I'm not sure if he's this. Then he comes in and just kills it and goes on and wins three Super Bowls. What was it like for you to just see him go on and have that success and be the player he was? Well, if you don't get it, I'm sure surely you wish your son to get it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. You know, and listen, I never played the Super Bowl. Some of my love. And when Danny went to the Patriots, I went, wow, this is really a gift to him, you know, from, mm-hmm. from, from God, because, you know, what a great place for him to go to. And it was fun. I'll tell you a funny story. We're, we're here at the house and Danny gets drafted and uh, Bill Belichick calls the house and he, he, my daughter answers the phone and she says, dad, it's Bill Belichick. Well, I said, give it to Danny. Uh-huh. He says, no, he wants to talk to you. Uh-huh. Now, I know Bill for maybe 20 years on and off, you know. 
And I said, Coach, hey, listen, I, I really appreciate you giving him a chance. Thank you very much. And he said, well, he goes, I had to talk to you, Joe. I said, what's that? He goes, I don't know what to do with him. Mm-hmm. And I got mad. Now, mm-hmm. I thought right away the negative. He drafted him for a body. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking to myself, he's going to use him as cannon fodder and get rid of him. When he goes, I said, well, if you don't know what to use him, I said, what the hell did you draft him for? Mm-hmm. He goes, I keep a stat, he said. No, he didn't say I keep a stat. He said he was the most disruptive player in the whole NCAA. Mm. I said, oh, really? And I said, who keeps a stat like that? He goes, I do. I said, well, now I know why you do what you do. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> it, it, it was tremendous to watch Danny go on and have that success and everything. And, of course, now he has those great memories, you know, of, of Super Bowl teams, the guys he played with. And he played with the greatest iconic two quarterbacks probably ever to play up to now in Peyton Manning when he played in Indianapolis and then with Tom Brady. Joe, did he naturally just gravitate to the game around you? Like, did you? When Danny was a little kid, he would go out all by himself with a football and a helmet on and (laughs) run into trees. He would go out (laughs) and he would come back all dirty and he'd come and say, Dad, how long's halftime? I'd tell him 10 minutes. He'd take 10 minutes on the clock. He'd sit there on a seat in the living room or something, and he'd drink a drink, and he'd go back out. He loved – he was built for football. So, yeah, Danny was – everything Danny had in his makeup was about football, I guess. Wow. So what did, what are your thoughts on – how the temple program has evolved over the years from the, you know, it was, yeah, it was in a tough place when, when Danny was playing at temple, the, the, it was almost dropped at one point. And we know the challenges It got kicked out of the big East. Then Al Golden comes in, revives the program. Matt rule takes it to new heights. Um, you know, they've, they've gone to bowl games. They've sent a ton of players to the league. Now, what, what's your view of how the program has evolved and what has that meant to you? Well, it's always been hard to recruit at temple, you know, because mm-hmm. Where you know the inner city school and stuff, and how they've made it over the years a lot of times where guys that actually got homesick or got dropped from teams and come back to the mm-hmm. Philly area. Philly has tremendous athletics, you know, mm-hmm. in all the high schools and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it, you know, you know, with being in an inner city school like that, it's always been hard. It, you know, it, it it it's not a California team. It's mm-hmm. totally different here, and it's hard to recruit here. And you know, really. I mean, I don't know not having your own stadium, but it's pretty good playing in the lake. You know, it's not not a bad place to play your home games. But it's it's hard when you go out to get a kid who's a who's a uh, a fourth or fifth round, you know, I mean, not round, uh, you know, recruit, and he's got he's looking at Penn State and and Boston College and and Temple. I mean, it's hard, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, you just hope you wind up with the talent and you're recruiting guys find guys that maybe have been overlooked. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that during that 2015 season when they beat Penn state yeah. uh, and then they get off to that big start and they almost beat Notre Dame and college football game day is here. And it was the game of the week. What was that like for you as an alum? Because again, like this is Philly always has been and always will be a pro sports town, but it was like the perfect set of circumstances. The Eagles were on a bye week they did a, a pregame and post-game show on Comcast Sportsnet where Ray Dinger, a fellow St. James alum, yeah. is doing that show. And Temple was like the center of the universe that week. Was that pretty cool for you as a former player? Oh, there was no doubt. You know what I loved about everything? 
you know, when Temple's playing or something like that, you're always you're always rooting for them. So you're yelling at all the bad calls that they would get, mm-hmm. you know, or or the coach makes a bad play or something like that. You say why, you know? But no, you, you know, your heart's in your alumni, you know. And you know, I haven't been back for many games and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I talked to a lot of the alumni, you know, uh, when you know uh, they have the home game every year and. And, you know, I try to come, but, you know, I've been there a couple of times and, and I tailgated and didn't go to the game. I had to leave. But, uh, you know, it's always been tough for me because everything that I do, like when I was doing TV for the Jets, mm-hmm. like I'd have to review it on Saturday with the, the uh, uh, SNY team in New York before I'd go to do the post and pregame shows, you know. So mm-hmm. it, I, my time was taken up. It was tough. But you're always rooting for your own, you know, yeah. Joe, what do you, I, when you think about, I don't know how much of it you have written, if you've started, have you thought about what you'll say in August when that time comes and you're in Canton and the time comes for you to make that speech? Well, what's going to be hard for me is, you know, I have 30 years I've been waiting. Mm-hmm. And not only the years that I played in college and in and, and high school and in and, and, uh, pros, but I have 30 years of friendships now that I've also have a lot to, to to mean to me, you know, since I've been out of football. So, you know, I think what it is, I started writing down everybody and how they came into my life who were, you know, the number one important people that I've had in my life, you know. And then I think it's going to go, you know, from there. And because I don't have long to talk. I only have 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Howie Long and I were talking about it. He got He got 20 minutes to talk. And I said, well, he was – he goes, Collect, you're just going to have to become a speed reader. That's all. You know? <laughs> I, you know, there's a lot of people I have to get in. There's a lot of people I deserve that deserve a lot of that helped me along the way, you know, mm-hmm. and, and helped me get through tough times and helped me get through, you know, the, the, the decisions I made in, mm-hmm. in college and in pro football. How we, we talked about her earlier in the conversation. How important has your, your wife's support? met to you i mean she's you know just reading your story and witnessing your story as a fan and then a reporter she's been instrumental in your journey in your journey not just as a life partner but even just i love the anecdote about her just like throwing the keys out of the car and saying get out there what what has she meant to your life well see that's the best part about my wife is she's not she's always in the background never we had a commercial when we were younger and i was i was playing we were on top and coast deodorant commercials came to us with a big amount of money. And they were going to give her and I the same amount of money. And they wanted us to do a post deodorant commercial. Mm-hmm. I mean, big money. And I said, honey, this is, we have this chance to do this. She said, no. I said, what do you mean, no? I mean, she was gorgeous. I mean, why do you want to not do this? She goes, you're the star. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she, the point of it was, is this has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. We're family. I'm here. I'm always behind you, but I don't need nothing with the limelight or nothing like that to be your wife. Mm-hmm. I'm just happy being with you and the kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, as far as, I don't know, the years and years and years that she supported me in, in the background. And, you know, I think now, you know, that the Hall of Fame's come along, you know, it's and then now and all the kids are basically married except one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's her and I alone. And, you know, to reap those benefits, you know, together and and to enjoy them together, uh, you know, it says a lot. 
Joe, people know so much about you. They know so much about your career. Is there anything that people wouldn't know about you? People that like, you know, you get, I, I like asking people this question, but you get the same questions from reporters all the time over the years. Like, how did you, how did you get past this offensive lineman? How did you win this game? How did you do this? How did you do that? Is there anything that people don't know about you or wouldn't know about you that you didn't always get the chance to talk about? Well, it's, it was a question nobody's ever asked me. You know, that's not an easy question to answer, I guess. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that I don't want anybody ever to know about that happened between, you know, our team, my teammates and me and stuff. And, and but only good, only good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. You know, only good, you know. But it was always about, you know, for me in football, going back to my football family, as you say, uh, winning was everything. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about nothing. I didn't care about being hurt. You know, like, I, I, you know, everybody kind of knows this, but uh, 1981, when I met, when I was the defensive player of the year, I shot my foot foot up for 12. I couldn't walk, mm-hmm. and I would shoot my foot up for 12 weeks, and I, before the game, and then at halftime, just so I could play. Mm-hmm. You know, so I had that feeling in my heart and my being that my team needed me to win. You know, and I always cared about winning. That's the only thing I gave a damn about, and those kind of things like that went on behind the scenes about to make us winners. I'm real proud of that, you know. So, uh, you know, I, you know, that that be a that be a one. I'm gonna mark that one down though, and 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 mull that one over for mm-hmm. a better answer next time. Joe, how do you want a final question for you again? Thanks so much for your time. How like. How do you want people to remember you? I mean, you've still got a lot of life ahead of you. You've you've got a family. You've got the Hall of Fame coming up. People know so much about, you know, all the games you won, all the honors you won. What do you, you know, and you've read so much that people have written about you. How do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done? I just, you know, really, seriously, as a a good guy, as a good guy that played the game hard, you know, in football terms, you know, people that know me as a person know that, you know what I mean? And, you know, um, the one thing I do more now than I ever have, you know, I, I speak for a lot of the parishes. I've gone around and spoke for a lot of the bishops of the mm-hmm. Catholic Church throughout the states, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, uh, you know the the things we go through now in society that are rough. You know, I want people to start overlooking them, and I want to be the example of that. You know, uh, you know, you know, as far as racism and things like that, just. Try and treat each other good, you know, mm-hmm. and all those things really go away. You know, start pointing fingers at why people did this and why people did that. It doesn't solve anyone's problems, you know. Mm-hmm. But when they look at me, I want them to look at me and say, listen, there's a guy I would like to be like, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, and it's the way I've led my life. It's the way I lead my life. And I think that's a good way to have people, you know, how, to want people to look at me. Joe, this has been such a treat. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Hopefully, we'll get to uh, catch up at a game or something down the line. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it. Yeah, I gotta figure out which one, but I'm definitely gonna make it to a game this year. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it.